Amen. Thank you for that message and song, Carolyn. If you have your Bible, please take it out with me and turn uh, to the very first book of your Bible, the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. Go ahead and take out your Bible. Turn there and I'll join you in just a moment. Genesis chapter 3. Well, man, kids ask a lot of questions, don't they? How many of you have had children of your own and know they ask a lot of questions? Can I see your hand? Hey, man, this past week, Ashlyn, well, she's kind of learned this phrase, but uh, she's asking it all the time now. I'll be doing anything, really, and she'll come up to me and she'll say, Daddy, Daddy, what, 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 uh, what, what do? What do? What do? I was working on the kayak the other day, and she came up. She said, what, Daddy, what, what, what do? She didn't stutter like I stutter, but she says, what do, you know? And I said, well, I'm doing this. And oh, okay, okay. You know, and it appeases her for a little bit. And we're working on something else. And in just a few minutes later, daddy, daddy, what, what do, what do? And you tell her and she says, oh, okay. You know, it's like, it's as if like she needed information, but once you provided her with the information, then uh, she was fine. And uh, man, kids ask a lot of questions because of just that simple fact. They lack information. And in wanting that information, they'll ask a question, wanting to learn, wanting to grow in their understanding. And you know what's interesting is that the older we become, the more questions that we seem to ask. The more questions that we have about life, questions about reality, questions about direction and purpose for our life. And some of us in this room this morning, I believe, have questions for God, there's a question for God, and, and in that, maybe for you, those questions are numerous. You know, we often get on kids for asking a lot of questions, but I've, I think I've discovered that the older you get, really, the more questions you have. And with that being the case, I wonder how many of us have ever considered the fact that the God who made us has questions for us. Have you ever thought of the fact that God has questions for you? You know, a lot of times we think about our questions for God, but I wonder, have you ever considered the questions that God has for you? You see, we're going to begin a new series over the next seven weeks entitled Questions God Asks Us. We're going to work through the Old Testament, and we're going to consider seven key questions in the Old Testament that God asked different people. And this past week, and actually the last couple of weeks, as I've been preparing for this series, I've, I've been kind of putting down the names of characters and, and the questions that God asked them. And just this past week, I was cuddled up on the couch with my wife, and I was kind of walking her through my series of where we're going to be. And I said, you know, one thing that's really kind of bothered me this week is I just don't really have any ladies on the list of questions that God asked them. And I was like, I know there are a few in the Old Testament, but like there is just not as many questions as the ones that God asked the guys. My wife, she just kind of piped up. She says, Aaron, look, think about Deborah. God didn't have to ask her anything. She had it all together, you know? God had all the questions for the men because they're the ones that keep messing up, you know? And I thought, well, yeah, maybe there's some truth in that, you know? Because by and large, I mean, there are some questions that God asks women, but there's a lot of questions in the Old Testament that God asks to some guys. But do you realize, I think when God asks those questions, and there's a number of them in the Old Testament, actually, there's a lot of them in the New Testament, but when God asks a question, 
And as we read our Bibles, we discover that the question was not just to them as much as it is also for us. Because when we read the word of God, although the Bible was not necessarily written to us, it is written for us. And so as we consider these questions that God asked in the Old Testament, we discover that in each one of those instances, God is asking a critical question. And every question that God asks in some way is like shining a divine light on the person and their experience. It reveals something about each one of us and our nature. And every question that God asks in the Bible reveals something to us about his magnificent character. And we think about it in the sense that God asks questions. And maybe like right here on the outset of the series, the question in your mind is simply, wait a minute, why would God ask questions anyway? I mean, doesn't he already have all the answers, (laughs) right? I mean, If God is, not if, since God is all-knowing and since God is all-powerful and since God is all-wise, then doesn't he already know the questions that he is asking? Psalm 44 verse 21 says he knows the secrets of the heart. Psalm 145 verse 21 says, Great is our Lord, abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Doesn't the scripture tell us in 1 John chapter 3 that whenever our hearts condemn us that God is greater than our hearts and knows everything? So, I mean, if God already knows the answer, why then does he ask these people the question? And as I've considered that and as I've studied it out, I think it's because God's not looking for any new information He's not asking these people these questions because he thinks that somehow by their answer, it might shine light on some new information that he did not know. No, actually, in fact, I think God asks us questions because he doesn't need new information, but he wants to discover something. He wants you and I, guys, do you hear that feedback? I'm getting a lot of feedback right here this morning. He wants us to discover something about who he is. He asks a question because God wants us to discover who he is. And it is these probing questions that God asks throughout all the Bible. He asks because in asking, he, he confronts our own limited understanding. And in doing so, he shines light on his power and his sufficiency. And so this morning, we're going to begin with the very first question that we find in the Bible. You've opened to it there in Genesis chapter 3. And this morning, we're going to read this question that God asked Adam, and really Adam and Eve together. But in doing so, I believe that God would ask you that question as well. God is actually this morning, as we read this passage, inviting us to look deeply within ourselves, to consider our own motivations, to consider our own reasoning, to be confronted with our own fear and our own failures. Because God's not lacking any information when he asks this, but God's questions, here's what they are. They are gracious gifts. Every time that God asks a question, It's a gracious gift because God is helping us to consider something about the question that shows our inability and it shows his sufficiency. So would you stand with me this morning as we read? 
We're going to read Genesis chapter 3. Pick up with me in the story at verse 8. And notice the question that God asks. Verse 8. And they, that is Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was, what's the next word? Afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. And he, God said to him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? which I commanded you not to eat. And the man said, the woman who you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you this morning that this question that you pose to Adam and Eve is, actually a question that you would invite each one of us to consider this morning. Lord, help us this morning as we consider your word. May your spirit move in our hearts. Convict us, Lord, of what we need to hear. Lord, show us what is true. And Lord, may we each take your invitation to leave where we're at. And Lord, to continue our relationship with you. Lord, that's what you desire for us. We thank you for how you're going to work in our hearts this morning when we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Notice this is the very first question that God asked in the Bible. The very first question that we discover is a simple yet incredibly profound question. God comes to his creation. God comes to Adam and Eve right in the middle of their mess and the question that God asked them is so simple and so straightforward. God asked them, he says, where are you? Would you turn to your neighbor and tell him that question this morning? And now your other neighbor, let him know that question again. Where are you? You got to shout across a couple rows this morning, right? Where are you? Now, let me ask you the question that God asked Adam and Eve. Where are you? Well, on the surface, it's a very simple question about location, right? Like if I were to simply ask you this morning, where are you? How would you answer that? What would you say? I'm here. <laughs> we're here. Where, where is here? I'm at church. I'm with God's people. I'm at Catawba Valley. I don't know how you might answer that very simple on the surface location question of where are you? But on a far deeper level, God is asking them an introspective question. He's asking them to not answer where they're necessarily at, although we see where they're at in the garden, where are they at? They're in the Garden of Eden and they're where? They're hiding, hiding where? And behind the trees, that's where they're at. That's really where they're at. But God's wanting to ask an introspective question of what's happening inside them. Adam, where are you at? Eve, where are you? And I wonder this morning, maybe that's a question that God would ask of each of us that are here today. God's inviting us to look inside ourselves 
to reflect within our own soul, to examine our life and to observe what is happening inside us. Where are you? Where are you? How might you answer that question of where are you today? As your pastor this morning, can I just ask you, where are you at in your marriage? Or in your family? Where are you at today in your job? In your relationships, your friendships? Maybe even more deeper than that, where are you at in your own soul? What's been going on the last number of days, maybe weeks? Where are you really at? And notice that's the question that God is asking. He's asking them, where are you? And if God were to come today, walking in the garden of your life and asking that question, Tammy, where are you? Kevin, where are you? Jimmy, where are you? Where are you really at? Like, once again, God comes to Adam and Eve and where are they? Where are they? What are they doing? They're hiding. They're hiding. Notice God comes to his creation and they're hiding. But think about it. Up until this point, they've never ever had to hide from God before. Like they never hid from God before. They had a perfect relationship with God. The Bible tells us that God would walk with them in the cool of the day. There was this intimacy, this closeness of a relationship. They had no need of hiding from God. But now they are hiding. Someone tell me now, why are they hiding? What do they do? Say it louder. They sinned. They disobeyed. How did they disobey? They ate of the fruit, right? I mean, God had given them one command. You can enjoy everything in abundance in this garden, but the one thing that you cannot do, that you shall not do, God says, is to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what had they done? Well, they had done just that. They had disobeyed God. Now they are hiding from God. And you'll notice this whole passage is filled with so much shame. It's filled with so many excuses. I mean, you start reading through the verses and there's one excuse after another excuse and there's so much cover-up because mankind is now shrinking from God. And the question that was in my mind all week as I studied was this. I wonder how Adam and Eve felt when they heard God calling them. How must they have felt when they heard God's voice Where are you? Well, to understand the question, right, we have to understand the tone in which God asked it. (laughs) I wonder what voice did they hear? Did they hear the voice of a stern, angry father calling out in anger, where are you? Or I wonder, did they hear the noise of a frantic parent that somehow misplaced their kids, you know, like moms do in Walmart, and it's like, where are you? You know, it's like this, where, 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 where? Is that the voice that they heard? You know, we all hear a voice in our head, don't we? Don't we? All of us have a a voice of condemnation that we cannot shake. And yet there's also a voice that we hear from God. And a lot of us, I think a lot of us, whatever tone 
of upbringing we had in our home with our earthly father, I think a lot of times that somehow we, we, we draw a bridge from that experience to our heavenly father. And our heavenly father's tone sounds a lot like our earthly dad. But I wonder when God speaks to you, what is the voice that you hear? And what is the tone of it? Because when you look at the Bible and you consider God's tone, his voice in scripture, look at all the ways that Jesus encountered people in the scriptures. What was Jesus' tone with the woman at the well? The Samaritan woman, you remember her? How many of you remember her? Life was such a mess, wasn't it? And what was Jesus' tone to her? What about Peter? as was sung about this morning in his betrayal. What was Jesus' tone to Peter? Or to Thomas, doubting Thomas? What was Jesus' tone to Thomas? Or what about that woman in the New Testament who had really sinned and she was caught in the act of adultery? You remember that? What was Jesus' voice to her? In John 8, we don't have to really imagine it because we can read what God said. Whenever God speaks, God speaks to convince men and to convict men, but never to condemn his child. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you here? Or she said, Jesus said unto her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you from now on sin no more. I think Jesus' tone and his voice in dealing with his children is always one of kindness. It's one of grace. God coming into the garden and asking Adam and Eve this very pointed question, God could have begun on a, on a whole bunch of different playing fields, right? I mean, God's first question could, would have not necessarily been where. His first question could have been why, <laughs> right? Or what, <laughs> you know? Like, this was a perfect world. Look how you messed it up, you know? Like that, that could have been God's first response, but notice, I find it interesting, God's first question is not what they did, but it's where they're at. It speaks to us something about the character of God. It speaks to us in, in, in many ways of his graciousness and his kindness. Listen to what one scholar, uh, Bill Arnold, writes. Listen to how he described it. He says, the Bible has no portraits of divine pathos more tender than Yahweh's voice in Eden and intoning, where are you? Only a single word in Hebrew, this rhetorical question evokes the stern but loving voice of a father addressing a child. The question is not meant to elicit information about their whereabouts as though God is confused by their absence. Rather, God is encouraging introspection. Why exactly are they there beyond the trees, hiding from the Lord who has provided for all their needs and blessed them abundantly. So I ask you the question that I think God asks us today, and that is, where are you? If God would ask each one of us this morning, Megan, where are you? Claude, where are you? 
Lori, where are you? How does that question reveal something about me? And that question even more so reveals something about God, right? Because let's let's take it in two parts this morning. Notice firstly, how does that, what does the question reveal about us? As God asked Adam and Eve that question, how, what does that question reveal about us? And remember, Adam, he stands as our representative. And the Bible is very clear about how the first Adam uh, sinned, but the second Adam, Christ, gives life. So Adam is our head representative. And how did Adam respond? Because Adam's response is actually, in fact, the response of all of us. What did Adam do? He did two things. First, what is our response? What does it reveal about us? First, we hide. When we sin, we hide. In our shame, we hide. Notice verse 8. Notice how God, how the Bible puts it. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. But notice what did Adam and Eve do? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Listen, you may be here this morning, and what's true about you is that in your life today, you're hiding. Oh, you're not hiding right here in person today, but spiritually, you're hiding behind the trees and the bushes. And God's calling out to you. God's calling out. He's saying, where are you? And where are you really at is that what's true about you is that you're hiding because you're ashamed. You're hanging your head low because you're ashamed of what you've done or what you didn't do that you should have done. And so like Adam and Eve this morning, maybe you're ashamed or maybe like Adam even puts it to God himself, you are afraid. You're afraid. Notice how did Adam answer the Lord? Notice what he said in verse 10. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. (laughs) Why? Tell me, someone tell me, why was Adam afraid in verse 10? Why did he tell him he was afraid? Because he was what? He's like, I'm naked. (laughs) But like, think about what he's saying. Like, does God not know that he's naked? You know, how often do we do that in life? Do we think that we can hide from God when God really can see us? You know, Adam and Eve, they're just like kind of crouching over here. They're like, God made us, but wait, this hide. Maybe he won't see us. This is a big tree, you know? You're like, how has sin so skewed your thinking that you think you can hide behind a tree and somehow the God of the universe, the God that spoke this world into existence, the God that made your naked body and made that tree that somehow he won't see you there. But they thought it was a pretty good idea. Hey, God won't see us. Shh. But now, come on. You're like, that's silly and that's really silly. Oh, really? How often do we do that in life? How often do we do things, say things, think things, and act if God does not see? I'll let you in on a little secret here. He already knows. He already knows. He is not surprised. He is not taken back. There are things that your spouse does not know today, but God does. And He already knows. 
But you know, the condition of man, the sinful condition of man, sin has a way of so wrecking our lives. It distorts our thinking. It distorts the way that we live. And when we are confronted with that shame, the sin that we have committed, we pull away and we hide. But God sees you there. This week, whatever you've done that somehow you think I got people fooled, God saw it. At your desk, behind your computer, with your friend on the telephone, God already knows. He already knows. But notice what does this question say about each of us? It shows us that we hide, but secondly, even more destructive, it shows us that we blame. When we're caught in our sin, in our shame, we always point the finger to someone or something else. Isn't that what Adam and Eve did in the garden? Like, just look at their response. Their, their response is the response of every one of us. Notice in verse 10 and verse 12, when asked who told them they were naked, notice what Adam says. He says, the woman you gave me, you know? And she, you know, so God's pointing, Adam's pointing his finger at God, Adam's pointing his finger at Eve, and then God just, you know, goes down the line. He looks at Eve, and she said it was the serpent. And everybody's just trying to push off the responsibility on someone else. But my goodness, how often do we do that in our shame? We rationalize our sin. Oh, well, if my spouse didn't do that, then I wouldn't have to, and we fill in the blank. If they didn't say that, then I would have been, you know? But we hide and we blame. And that's what that question says about each one of us. When God looks at us this morning and he says, where are you? He's inviting us to look within ourselves to see, are one of those two things true in my life today? Am I hiding from the God? Am I hiding from the Lord? And am I blaming God or blaming somebody else for what they did rather than take responsibility for what I did? Notice we see God comes to them and we see the response of them. But notice, what does this question reveal about God? Well, a number of things. The first thing is that God pursues us. God pursues us in our hiding. Amen? They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I guess what I find so amazing. Their sin doesn't drive God away. Their sin doesn't drive God away. But He comes and he pursued, like, it wasn't even that God just like washed his hands of the situation. He's like, well, there goes that world, you know, like, we'll start with another one. No, but God, God pursues them. He pursues Adam and Eve. He's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God comes to them even after they sin, and God does not leave them there. God does not go on a walk elsewhere. God doesn't make it really weird for him, you know? Like, he doesn't have that conversation. He's just like, you know, this was a perfect world up until like 30 minutes ago, and you blew it. God doesn't do any of that. He doesn't do any of that. He comes, and he pursues them, and in love, he asks them this question, 
where are you? Where are you? Notice how this teaches us something about God. It teaches us that God pursues us. Man, so many people, they say, what makes Christianity so different than anything else that this world has to offer in terms of religion? It's this. It is this. Every other religion of the world has man trying to seek after God. Through a whole bunch of different means, through a whole bunch of acrobatic things, man's trying to seek God. But that's not how it works because Christianity reveals that the powerful message of the gospel is that God comes seeking after us. (laughs) No man seeks after God, but God comes seeking after his creation. And that's what he does. God pursues them, But then most amazingly, notice what God does. Not only does God pursue us in our shame, but God covers us in our shame. Look down in verse 21. And the Lord made for Adam and his wife. What did God make for him? Shout it out. Verse 21, God made him what? Garments. Garments of skin. And he clothed them. Presumably, what many Bible scholars believe, and I'm right here with them, that the skins that God clothed them with for an animal, from an animal. God said that in the day they eat of it, surely they would die. And notice what happens here in this passage is certainly something does die to cover their shame. One day Adam and Eve would experience a physical death. Even God in His graciousness prolongs their life, but they did die. But in this moment, they died in a far deeper way, and that was they are now alienated from God. They're now separated from God in an effort to cover their shame. What does God do? Their sentence of death was absorbed by a substitute, a a spotless lamb. Who made the first sacrifice in the Bible? Who did it? God did it. God killed a lamb to clothe them, which all foreshadows what God would do one day in sending the perfect spotless lamb. John the Baptist says, Behold, the lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world. You see, all of this, God is foreshadowing what God will do through the seed of the woman, that one day there will be one who comes who will destroy and crush the serpent's head. And my friend, that's happened. Like, Jesus has come, amen? Like, that's why we're here this morning, is because of the message of the gospel and what Jesus did on the cross as He shed His blood for you and I. He's clothed me in His righteousness. So all throughout the Bible, you look at garments as now God does in Genesis 3. All throughout the rest of Scripture, a garment now serves as this stand-in to represent our dignity, our worth, our standing before God. And I do not stand today before the Lord Jesus Christ in my own sinful rags. But as a born-again child of God, I am now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And you can be too. Because sin's been defeated. 
and the serpent's been crushed. And God desires a relationship with you and how he did it by was sending his own son to make right what we screwed up. Like that's the gospel. You say, how far does, how much does God love me? Look at the cross of Christ and consider how much he loves you. It took the death of God's own son. And notice here, we see all of this in a glimmer now foreshadowed throughout the Old Testament. Was there consequences for Adam and Eve's sin? Someone tell me. Yeah, there was. What were the consequences of Adam's sin? Wow, much. Death. (laughs) Like, you know, you were immortal, now you're mortal. Like, that's pretty big. That's a big deal. Death? What else? Huh? Yeah, God ordained work, but now the work was going to be hard. Now childbirth is going to be painful. I mean, ladies, think about that. No pain-free childbirth before the fall. And now, notice all these things. That's, it's changed, hasn't it? What other consequences did Adam and Eve in their lifetime live to see? Huh? Weeds and thorns and thistles. The death of his own son. How did he not think about the consequence of his own sin when he saw the death of his own son murdered by his other son? Adam and Eve experienced a lot of consequences for their sin, and so do we. So do we. Sin has consequences. But in this moment, we see something powerful happening in the garden in that God is showing them mercy. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads men to repentance. So this question that God asked them is actually the most kind and gracious thing that he could possibly say. Where are you? And that's a question that God asked every one of us this morning. I want you to not think about anybody else in the service this morning, but I want you to think about you. God shines a spotlight this morning right on you. And he says, where are you? (laughs) How do you answer that? Where are you at today in your relationship with God? Where are you? Where are you in your heart on the path of life where God has you? Do you think as if God does not know or he does not see? He does. And he's inviting you this morning. Here's the invitation. God's inviting you to step out from behind the bushes. Get away from behind the tree and step into the light. Because God's not done with you. There's things that God wants to do in and through your life this morning. And sin and shame has shackled you and it's held you this morning. And God this morning wants to set you free. Because he's did it. He's done it. (laughs) In the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants to extend that to you this morning. He wants to invite you back into a relationship. That's what God wants more than anything else this morning is he longs and desires for you to experience the fullness of a relationship with him. That's the point. 
And God forgive us for so many times in life when we think so many other things are the point. Some of you are looking for God to tell you what to do today. And more than God wanting to tell you what to do, he just wants to tell you he wants to be with you. So step out from behind the tree of shame and step into his forgiveness. And he's inviting you in in a tone of love and grace this morning with arms open. But you know what? You got to answer the question the right way. You have to admit, I am hiding I'm living in shame. And that is not where God wants you to remain. You see, when the Spirit of God brings His conviction, and God does, (laughs) He can convince men of truth, and God brings His Spirit to convict men. But you know, do you know how, 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 how do you know which voice to listen to, right? How do I know I'm listening to the Spirit of God versus that voice of condemnation that oftentimes sounds pretty harsh? A lot of us have a harsh inner critic, and it is like that voice of condemnation that just continually says, you're not good enough, you, you cannot attain that. You, who, who do you think you are? You know, like in those moments where that voice tells you something, that narrative you tell yourself. You say, how do I know God's Spirit's calling me today? Because there's never one time in Scripture that the Spirit of God didn't lead to a path of restoration. God doesn't condemn. God invites us to experience His conviction, but to be set right on a new path. And this morning, if the Spirit of God is impressing on your heart to step out, from behind the tree of shame? It's because God's given you a path to walk. There's something He wants you to experience. He wants you to step into a relationship that is full of meaning. But our head, our sinful flesh, is going to tell us the same critical thing, and that is a voice of condemnation. You can't do it. You shouldn't do it. You never live up to it. I'm just going to tell you this morning, God's voice is a voice that is so seasoned with grace. And the path he wants you to experience is a path with him. It's a relationship with him. It's a life full of meaning. And he's willing to take your sin upon himself because he's already done it. And he's willing to now clothe you with his righteousness because that's just how gracious of a God we serve. Pray with me this morning. Father, thank you this morning for your spirit that bids us to come. Lord, I don't know certainly the experiences of what people have had in this room, but Lord, some are living under a voice of shame and guilt and condemnation. They cannot shake it. It's just pummeling them. It's like stepping on them when they're down. And and, and, and Lord, they feel so ashamed about it. They're trying to cover up and they're putting on a front and they're trying to do all these things, trying to convince people what what really is happening is not happening because, Lord, they just don't want to deal with reality. And and this morning, in all love and all grace, you're calling out to us. You're asking us, where are we? Where are you? 
And the opportunity, the invitation this morning is to get up from where you're at in your hiding and be exposed to the truth and love of God and may His truth so overwhelm your life. Lord, I believe that You have the power to set some people free today. Lord, I believe that there is some in this room that have never experienced Your salvation. But God, today could be that day of salvation for them. Lord, do a great work in their heart this morning that can only be attributed to what You have done. We thank You and praise You for how You're working in our life, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.